Well, well, well. It turns out that water is a bit trickier than it looks like on the surface. I mean, it's everywhere, but you probably don't need to listen to a science communication show to know that water is important and needs to be studied. My name is Louis Colorotolo, and I am a student over at the University of Guelph trying my absolute best to get a PhD in food science. And when I should be doing work, but I'm certainly not doing it, I like to talk with other graduate students about what they're studying and how it's applicable in our everyday lives. And today we are going to talk with Hannah May, who studies water, the nutrients in water, and how they end up in places like the Great Lakes. But I'm no water scientist. I don't know how many nutrients are in water or how many nutrients should be in water. So listen to this clip from Hannah to, let's say, whet your appetite. That's what everyone says. They're like, I thought water needed nutrients, <laughs> which it does. Don't get me wrong, but it's all about a balance, right? And we are going to have a chat about that balance. So if you want to learn more about water, nutrients, and how they end up where they end up, and a very particular case of water science crime, stay tuned. But before you listen, keep in mind that we're both graduate students. We don't know everything, but that's why you're listening to an episode of We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I, I am great over here. Could you do us a favor and walk us through your educational history? Yeah, of course. I did my undergraduate degree in environmental engineering at the University of Guelph, but that is after I did a first year at Dalhousie University in environmental science, and then I did the whole, what am I doing with my life thing, and took a year off, and then ended up in Guelph for environmental engineering. I uh, did that for my undergrad, and then I did my master's also at Guelph in water resources engineering. All right, so so you you went from East Coast to, to just the middle of somewhere in Ontario, and you are kind of sticking with the same stuff, though. Yeah, environmental, water, I feel like those are the same thing. Essentially. I feel like all the kids in undergrad were like, why didn't I do water? Because it just seemed a lot more interesting. Like, we had to do a lot more engineering work in environmental, whereas you got to do a lot more environmental science-y stuff in water resources, it seemed. <laughs> so do the, the water resources, does that group in the people who are like, oh, I want to swim with the dolphins? Or is that more like marine biologist? Yes, that's definitely more marine biology. Water resources is more like flood forecasting and stream gauging. So how much discharge is going through this river? More of like water math. <laughs> mm, so the sexy parts of water. Yeah, you know, just the glamorous stuff. Really. <laughs> yeah, all the glamorous stuff. All right, all right. Well, nonetheless, nonetheless, you are here now and you are studying what? Yeah, so my master's was in nutrient transport. So basically, we were looking to see how nutrients are partitioning from the surface water to the groundwater in an agricultural watershed. All right. Nutrient transport. I think of nutrient transport and I don't think of that, but I don't even know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of like transporting nutrients from my mouth all the way through my body. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Nutrient transport. Watershed. We're, we got we got like lots of big terms here. Let's start off with watershed. What What is a watershed? I'm assuming. Now. I'm no environmental biologist or engineer or whatever it was, but I'm assuming it's not a shed filled with water. That's a great point. It's definitely not. Yeah. So a watershed is basically just an area of land where all the precipitation, so the rainfall and the snow melt will collect and they drain into one common outlet. So it's basically just like a control volume, if I can say that without it being too nerdy. <laughs> uh, but in 
life. It's kind of just the area you live in. So if you see a river in your area, you know that all the precipitation is draining to that river, essentially. You know, when I was in like elementary and, and, you know, primary schools, I remember learning so much about the water cycle. Like as if knowing the water cycle was the only thing you needed to know back then. And the water cycle is important. Right? Like, you know, rain, uh, evaporation happens, I'm pretty sure, and clouds, and and rain. <laughs> I'm not doing too great, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm, getting, I'm hitting the key no, points. Absolutely. That is probably the key point of the water cycle, for Fair. sure. All right. um, <laughs> that rain. No, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually, I did a knowledge mobilization project as part of my master's, uh, because I did realize how many people don't really understand what the water cycle is or what a watershed is just at the basic levels. Um, so I did this kind of arts-based knowledge mobilization project through the Guelph Institute of Environmental Research. And we created this uh, massive clay art piece just to go in this museum, just to basically show what a watershed is. And I thought it was really cool. And it's really for all ages and just to get your mind going, because like you said, what is a watershed? It's not easy to define. There you go. That, well, that's kind of fascinating. You know, uh, even as adults, I, you know, even as a scientist for that matter, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what a watershed is. So I love these kinds of projects that like go that like approachable for all different ages and teaching us like what a, what a watershed. Is. But, you know, as much as I'd love this to be an entire episode about watersheds, uh, <laughs> let's go back to, to what you are uh, researching nutrient transport. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I don't know where to start. <laughs> so my research is funded by the Ministry of the Environment. And basically our research is looking to advance objectives of the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement. Are you familiar? <laughs> Am I fam Of course, no, I'm not. I'm not familiar at all. Just tell me. <laughs> um, no. Um, so basically, that's a pretty massive agreement between Canada and the U.S. that was signed in 1972 and basically to protect the quality of the Great Lakes. But our research in particular is trying to advance the research priority of nutrient quality in the Great Lakes. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term eutrophication. Ah, uh, you're going to have to give me that one too. Of course. See, these are the things I take for granted. These are the things I think people know. And then I'm like, it's just me because I'm a water nerd. <laughs> water um, nerd. Haha, <laughs> you're a water nerd. <laughs> um, yeah, so eutrophication is when a water body becomes enriched in nutrients. And then you get those algae blooms. I think this happened to Lake Erie a long time ago. It was in the news and stuff. And it led to a lot of fish kills dead zones and a whole bunch of problems for just like water intake and recreation and all that stuff. So basically, the research is looking to advance our understanding of how these nutrients are getting from farm fields to the Great Lakes. And our research in particular was just looking at that headwater catchment area. So the watershed right where the agricultural fields are. So this, to some degree, seems like counterintuitive. Because, like, I would think that more nutrients are better, but you're telling me that too many nutrients are a bad thing? That's what everyone says. They're like, I thought water needed nutrients. Right? <laughs> Which it does. Don't get me wrong. But it's all about a balance, right? You can't have water bodies that are low in nutrients or water bodies that are too enriched in them, and they both have equal amounts of problems. But right now, in the areas where we're doing a lot of agriculture and food production, we're adding a lot of nutrients to the fields. So as we're increasing that nutrient balance in the area, those are entering our water system and causing these issues. All right. So this is a classic case of too much of a good thing. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. All right. So so farming, right? I, I am not a farmer. I know that they add a lot of nutrients to the soil. 
and they're adding water to the soil as well. And I'm assuming some of those nutrients, they don't stick to the plant. They don't go into the plant and they kind of just get washed away. Would I be right by assuming that? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly kind of the basis of our study is we know that a lot of the nutrients are getting washed away by precipitation and the water just kind of running off, run off, if you will. But we're also curious if these nutrients are interacting with the subsurface. So if they're going into the groundwater in the area. And if this is playing a role in influencing the nutrient balance in both these kind of headwater catchments and also in the Great Lakes. All right. So if we have a farm, and let's say somewhere in northern Ontario, and it is getting nutrients added to the soil, the farmers are adding stuff and yada, 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 and, and, and it rains and that water is then trickling down. It's got a long, long, long way to go before it gets to the Great Lakes. Like driving, it takes us hours to get to the lakes. Uh, but you're telling me that, you know, this rain, this one drop of rain is going to travel all the way down to the Great Lakes? I don't know about that. No, that's not what I'm saying. I guess we're just trying to understand if it's being stored and transported later or if it can really make it that far. Our research was really limited to a certain watershed and understanding just how it's going from the field basically to the outlet. Um, there are kind of lots of larger studies that look at the basin scale to see exactly what's happening in the Great Lakes. Okay, so so if this nutrient, it's going from the farm and it's going into the Great Lakes, we've already identified that it might not be great if we have too many nutrients going into the Great Lakes, but at the same time, farmers still need to use a lot of nutrients if they want their crops to grow. So it seems like it's a delicate and difficult balance to achieve. It definitely is, and that's definitely what we're finding, I would say. The problem with studying this is that it's such an interdisciplinary topic. So I'm looking at strictly the water cycle and the water quality, right? So I'm looking at what are the nutrient levels like in the surface water compared to the groundwater in this area, where someone else in uh, soil science or in environmental science is looking at how the soil is actually taking up that nutrient or how the farmer is deciding what to put on the field. And there's kind of a gap in making those connections and building a really large, robust conceptual model to understand how we can make these systems better for us, make them work for us and the environment in a more sustainable way. Right. We, we hear so much the word sustainable. And it's a really big word, and it's a really fancy word, and it's a super important word. In fact, I think I use the word sustainable in every single publication I've ever written. Uh, but also, it's kind of a confusing topic. How do you see sustainability? How would you define it? I try to avoid using the word sustainability, so I'm a little... <laughs> upset I used it. Um, <laughs> because what it really means is to sustain, so to keep a system going. It doesn't really mean to protect or to enhance the quality. So if a system isn't uh, providing like the best service to a person or an ecosystem, we probably shouldn't sustain it. But I do think we can use the word sustainability when we're talking about changing the systems. All right, enough sustainability talk. You, There's something you said that I wish I asked a question about earlier. You said groundwater versus surface water. And I'm over here thinking, like, those have got to be the same thing. No, really? Yeah, like ground. It's on the ground. Surface, it's on the surface of the ground. It seems like it's the same thing. Oh, wow. You're, you're lost, Lewis. Um <laughs> Guide me. Please help me here. Of I'm course. not a water nerd. Yeah, no. So surface water is basically all 
the water we see on land. So it's the lakes, it's the rivers, the streams, the ponds. We can kind of classify all those into surface water. Then groundwater is the water in the subsurface. So it's what we don't see. Um, it's in these really cool things called aquifers, which are below the ground we stand on. Guelph is actually all groundwater for our municipal drinking water. So is this why our water is so salty? I love, I love the taste of Guelph water. Do you like Guelph water? I do, but I've been in Guelph too long. Ooh, Whenever ah. someone comes to Guelph, they're like, what's wrong with this water? And I'm like, it's groundwater. It's, it's full of calcium. <laughs> it's saltylicious. I love it. I, I'll go home for a little while and then I'll come back here and I'll be like, who put salt in my tap? I've never heard someone describe it as salty, but it's mm. so correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. So, so we have this groundwater. We have surface water. Uh, how how does your uh, research get conducted? Right. Uh, you you talk about looking at groundwater and surface water, and you talked about some of your findings and all of this, but. How do you physically determine any findings? Yeah, so basically what we're doing is we're going out to the watershed on a monthly, bi-monthly basis and collecting water samples and looking at those water samples for nutrient quality, so the phosphorus and nitrogen in the water, as well as water chemistry parameters that could indicate where the water's coming from. So to do this, we first of all have the surface water. We can just throw on some waders and hop in the creek and take a sample. But getting to the groundwater is a lot more difficult. We need to drill wells. So in our watershed, we have about eight wells. We've drilled them over the last five years, I believe. And it's actually a really fun process. I <laughs> never thought I would be so interested in drilling a well, but to see a subsurface like come up that's been there for thousands and thousands of years, it's kind of incredible. So how deep are these wells? Uh, I think our deepest is 16 meters. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a deep, that you don't want to fall down that well. No, you couldn't. I mean, that would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be. They're a what? lot smaller than in the movies. They're only okay. about two inches in diameter. It's not like the stone with the stones all around it, and then Lassie comes and barks and is like, what's that? Old Hannah's no. fallen into the aquifer well again. Oh, Hannah. <laughs> Yeah, that wouldn't be really safe for research. No, all right. So Okay, so we safely dig a well, and then you could take just water samples from there. Anything else? Or you just you just grab a couple buckets of water and march it back to your laboratory? Yeah, we just send the rope down, get a bucket. No, uh, we just pump, <laughs> pump up some water. Yeah. Uh, take a sample. Uh, we can also do a lot of other tests with the wells. We can try to figure out how fast the water can move in the aquifer. So... By doing these things called slug tests, we can figure out that. But typically, the well is just there to access the groundwater. All right. So at this point in this conversation, you have gone, you have put your waders on, you have gone in creeks, you have dug holes in the ground, and you're collecting water, and now you, get, you just got a whole bunch of test tubes, I'm assuming, of water. You pack them up in the car, and you're ready to go back to the lab. What do we do from here? Yeah, so we actually use an accredited lab. So we send ours to, I think it's SGS Canada, and they do all the chemical analysis for us. So we are much more about accessing the water and kind of monitoring the water in the field. So in addition to the quality samples we collect and send off, we're also monitoring for water level, discharge, and climate parameters in our watershed. So precipitation, snowmelt, all that stuff. Okay. So now that you say climate parameters, I have a guess, which I feel is going to be right. But 
global warming is going to play a little bit of role in what we're talking about. I think the correct term is climate change. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good point. Good point. You know what? I even said climate before that. So, all right. Climate change <laughs> plays a little role in this, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. So that is one of the big motivations of our project is that we're trying to see how these nutrients are moving in relation to weather events because as the climate is changing and these weather events become more frequent or different, we kind of want to know the high-risk times that we're losing nutrients to the water. Okay. So now this is a really interesting point. If climate change is having a big impact, we're also seeing a lot of changes in farming itself and the way that we're farming things and the nutrients that we need to add to farming things. So I guess I can guess that this is also going to be a big effect on what you're seeing. Definitely. I, I would say that's definitely out of the scope of what I did study, but it's something where my mind is going now. Like I said, my research was so focused on just like the water cycle and the water chemistry, but after doing this research, I'm so interested in food systems. I'm like, are we going to keep farming these things in the next 20 years? Are we going to keep using the same amendments in the next 20 years? And not to say that this research won't be relevant, but just to make sure we are considering all those things if we're making these kind of long-term models, whether they be conceptual or computer-based. Ultimately, and, and you touched on this in your last answer, where does any of this lead? Like, I, I understand. It seems like if I were to write a list of things that are important, understanding the water cycle and the watersheds and the nutrification of the groundwater and the surface water, it sounds important. But what does this lead to? Why is it really important that we're studying this kind of thing? Yeah, so I guess it's important to kind of develop this understanding so we can make solutions. So the data we're collecting and what we're seeing, we're trying to understand how we can mitigate the, the bad effects. So if we see that a lot of nutrients are being lost in a certain time in a certain area, what type of controls could we use to keep those nutrients on the field and keep the water system clean? And also not lose those nutrients to our food system. Yeah, like why 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 put all these nutrients in if we're going to lose them? That doesn't seem too efficient. No, it's the it's a big question, right? Yeah, right. Oh gosh, it's like wasting nutrients, and we don't want to waste nutrients. Do you have any like fun stories or memories of things that happened out when you were collecting water samples? Well, someone stole our research once. <laughs> Who stole your research? Or well, do you know? Uh... We don't know. The police never got back to us. Um, <laughs> Wait, did you file like a police report like someone stole my water samples? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, it was a bunch of equipment. So yeah, we had this little, this cute little shed that we built and designed uh, to just kind of live on the side of the stream. It was all hooked up with water sensors to collect continuous measurements of water quality, water chemistry, etc. It had a solar panel on it. It's tracking data in a little box. It was supposed to be sending the data back to us, but we somehow messed up that communication point. Um, and it was working for like four months of our study. We were getting all this great data. And one day we came back to the field, we drive up to the site, we look over, it's just gone. <laughs> just like, where did our shed go? The whole shed. Wait, the entire the shed. shed. Yeah, and there wasn't like a trace of anything. We had no idea what happened. Um, and the funny part, there was, um, a really significant flood in the watershed the week before too. So this flood was a one in 100 year event, meaning it only happens once every 100 years. It, everywhere was flooded. So our brain was either like, our shed got stolen or it got swept away in the flood. 
So we had to kind of pursue both options. Mm -hmm. So that day was a lot of calling the cops and also walking down the river looking for any remnants of our shed. <laughs> so when you say shed, this was like a shed you would find in a backyard, like this entire structure? It was like one you would buy at Canadian Tire, like okay. you could fit in it if you crouched down. But like it wasn't like massive, but... It was a decent size. Like, I still don't really understand how someone just picked it up and stole it. That's what I want to know. I want well, I also want to know the motivation. What kind of equipment was in there? How would anyone know is the real question. Like, I had a <laughs> sign on it, like, water science, don't steal me. But, like, <laughs> well, there, if there was that sign, maybe someone wouldn't have stolen it. So consider that for the future. <laughs> True. <laughs> we should be like, there's nothing interesting going on here. <laughs> just boring water nerd science going on here. <laughs> Yeah, so it was, um, we had some sensors in the water, those, it's too nerdy to really talk about them, but they just kind of tracked nitrogen and water chemistry. And then the shed itself, we ended up just storing a bunch of stuff there because we thought it was safe. So we had our little data logger box and we had some hunting cameras, just random stuff. But when we added up the total, it was, it was quite high because research equipment is quite expensive. So we did have to report it to the cops because... We lost a significant amount of money in that kind of endeavor, but I have no idea what the people would do with it. Like, you can't pawn water quality equipment, can you? <laughs> can you? Can if I go to a if I go to a pawn store in like southern Ontario and I find like water quality monitoring equipment, I'ma call you. Right? Because you look at it and you have no idea what it is, too. Like it's not intuitive. Just this big tube. <laughs> Maybe someone does, like, maybe someone's like, gee, I wish I, I had, you know, the equipment to measure the phosphorus level in my water. True. I mean, it's one way to get it. Uh, I can't even imagine what this would be like to, like, budget this. Like, if, you're, if your boss was writing, like, a grant or something to get some funding, they'd be like, oh, well, we need some more money because we lost of a lot of our equipment because someone stole our, our sensors. Yeah, it was really funny. We had to report it to the school and everything. And then I had to kind of like change my research a bit because I was counting on a lot of that data and we lost a lot of that data. So I was just like, someone stole my research. Someone stole my data that I've been collecting for months now. And I had to pivot. I had to kind of change a lot of my analysis from there. Well, that, now that's extra interesting because you've heard about like stolen research before, but this was like physically stolen <laughs> research. Yeah. I hope they don't publish my data. I don't think they would. <laughs> Could you imagine if someone, like some nefarious research group stole your water <laughs> censoring equipment just to like, oh, well, these phosphorus levels look really interesting. <laughs> and then, oh you know, in the papers where they have to tell you like where they purchased different items and they have to say like, obtained one water sensor from a shed <laughs> that we stole it from. <laughs> Oh my god. This is the this is the part of science that everyone talks about, and that's the issue here. Alright, so so aside from this story, which I, I had no I had no expectations to be this enthralled by uh, the true crime. You know, this could be a true crime science research broadcast. What if I... No, okay. All right. We'll save that idea for another day. Um, so aside from the true crime side of water research, when... Everything is said and done. You're looking to better understand the water cycle and how over nutrification is that the word nutrification nutrition. Oh, I like that word better. Nutri um, <laughs> <laughs> eutrification. 
you eutrificate. What what is eutrification? Eutrification. Yeah, it's a process where a water body becomes enriched in nutrients. Okay, all right. So <laughs> the over eutrification of uh, these water bodies, uh, because ultimately we need to look at our practices more. We need to better understand how these things are affecting the environment. Because if we want to protect the environment, we need to know how the environment's being affected. But that was my summary of it. Could you give me a total summary of what you were studying? Yeah. So just to give a summary, I guess we are just looking to draw connections between the weather events and how they're triggering nutrient exchange at this watershed scale. And we're really just trying to understand what the role of the groundwater is in this nutrient bounce. Is the groundwater full of nutrients? Is it contributing to the surface water? Is the surface water contributing to the groundwater, etc.? We also did some work with sediment in there, seeing how that was playing a role. But overall, we're just trying to get a better idea of how the water cycle and the nutrient cycle are interacting. Yeah, and so ultimately, we're trying to get this holistic view of the water cycle. Because when you're looking at water quality, you kind of have to, because these things aren't separate entities. The surface water isn't separate from the groundwater. It interacts with the sediment all the time. There's these crazy things out there called tile drains, which also play a big role in our work. And I think at the end of the day, we really need to stress that you can't just take one grab sample every month and know what's going on in the watershed. You need to kind of have this greater, more, more holistic view uh, to make the right kind of conclusions and recommendations moving forward. All right. Yeah, I had no idea that it was this complicated. You know, I tend to assume that everything's complicated when it comes to science, but it's interesting to know that there's such a difference between these things. Um, and it, it really requires a very careful eye to understand the connections between things. Because, um, uh, oh, bad pun coming. Would you say <laughs> that understanding watersheds is not surface level only? <laughs> Absolutely. I wish I came up with that myself. <laughs> All righty. And that, uh, with that pun, I think we need to call it a day. That is the end of that. So thank you for sharing all of your water knowledge with us. It has been a true pleasure to meet and speak with an official water nerd. <laughs> thank you so much. This has been great. Well, 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 the episode is over. Uh, see, I, I used that line at the beginning of the episode, but now it has context. It's hilarious. I'm writing golden material over here. Hannah gave us all the information about how water flows, the nutrients in it, sometimes having too many nutrients not being a good thing, and a little bit of water science crime. If we had the rights to it, believe me, I would be ending this episode with a particular theme song from a very particular particular show about solving crimes. But not before we would do a fact check. Every episode of We Know Some Stuff ends with a fact check because you know what? We don't always get everything right. So both Hannah and I listened to this episode a few times and we came to the conclusion that there was nothing particularly standing out that needed to be corrected. However, if things do change in the future and if we realize we didn't do the best job representing our science, we will be the first ones to go back and correct it. So thank you and cheers to another episode of We Know Some Stuff.